runners. Beep, beep. The coyote's after you. Road runner. Beep, beep. If he catches you, you fool. That coyote's really a crazy clown. Beep, beep. When will he learn that he never can mow him down? Beep, beep. Poor little road runner never bothers anyone. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Buff Bourguignon, French beef stew in red wine. We're going to serve it with braised onions and mushrooms and a wine dark sauce. It's a perfectly delicious dish. So we could put in a little more tomato paste or a little more thyme. In this case, we're fortunately find it's just right. Now for the thickening of it. Now we want to get our pan hot and we're going to saute it in this first until it's brown and then we're going to put it in this pot in which we're going to cook it in the oven. Now this is going to go in a 325 oven and it should cook very, very slowly just at the bare simmer. And once it's in, except for checking the oven to make sure that it isn't bubbling and boiling. You don't have to look at it anymore. Then all let the sauce drain out. And then we simply put the stew back into the casserole. There. You want the flavor of the onions and the beef to all blend themselves with the stew. That's going a little too hard, so I'll put it inside. There. In about two or three minutes, if you have it in the icebox, you heat it up very slowly and baste the meat with the sauce. And then, and then you cover it and, and simmer it very slowly for about two or three minutes until everything is tender and hot through. Well, now this is ready to serve. Right now. Hi, this is Binks Deep Cove, and you're listening to Eat It and Beat It on the Two True Freaks Network. Come and get it. Hello, and welcome to Eat It, one half of a two-part podcast featuring food. I am your host, Pete Flat Mammal. And I'm here with my co-host, Speedy Bump. Look out, look out, look out! World-famous bush meat expert. <laughs> Got it, mate. I like the term. We're, we're, we're talking about roadkill, bush meat. Yeah, that's uh, that's our... Hey, it kind of ties into both aspects of the show, doesn't it? If you're really going to get a... Dive into the, into the name bush meat. But yeah, we are doing nice, cute, furry roadkill... And uh, you may say, well, what in the world does that have to do with, with food? But after I have done some research into the topic, there is a lot of people and a lot of uh, interesting information on is it safe to eat roadkill? Is it ethical to eat roadkill? Is it legal to eat 
roadkill. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'll start this off by saying I've never I have I have eaten many of the creatures that fall into the category of roadkill, but I have never scraped anything off the road and eaten it. But I've never been that star. I've never been that hungry. I mean, I can imagine if you would go back maybe 200 years ago or something and you would call it wagon kill or whatever. I'm sure that our forefathers didn't leave anything that they hit or or that they that found. They, yeah, on the side of the road. If you're hungry enough, man, you're gonna you're gonna eat it. What's uh What's your take uh, on uh, well, food? to me, the idea of eating roadkill is pretty gross. As someone who grew up in the country and saw and smelled a lot of roadkill. Had a had a had a golden lab that lived at our house that loved, that thought roadkill was like the the, you know, God's personal perfume to her, so she would find a dead muskrat and just roll on it, like put her back into it and just roll on it and come into the house and lay in front of the wood stove. You know, just when you think dogs are like the smartest creatures ever they'll do something like that or eat a piece of shit and well and it's it's the, smart to them i mean the shit's delicious to them so <laughs> you know chocolate's poison to them so they're watching us eat chocolate go look at those idiots what are they doing here why don't you just have this piece of shit they they, they eat that chocolate while there's all this gorgeous shit hanging around morons yeah and, and like you'd mentioned you are from roadkill country and i know this because i drove up there uh, last year, and I could have made a a hashtag chart of all of the dead creatures that I saw on my uh yeah. My trip you could have up. filled a couple like ice chests with uh oh. with carcasses. Oh, absolutely! But you know, looking into it, uh, is it safe to eat roadkill? And the majority of answers that I got was well. A, if it's in the winter time, <laughs> that's a good time to, to eat what you hit or what you find. Never, ever, ever in the summertime unless you happen to be one of those people that, that does ram into something. But uh, I I never I well I did I did hit a dog once, which which was sad. But I've I've never you know, hit anything like that and I'm not sure if I if I could, but like I was saying, you know, I've never been hungry enough, I guess. Well, I watched two videos that, like, to me, like, I would think if I was going to eat roadkill, it would have to be, like, a deer that... Yes. ...that just got hit or that, that, that was, in a, you know, that we hit in a car or something. And, okay, then it's venison. <laughs> it is, but, and... It varies state to state on deer, if you can kill them. What what people worry about is that this will encourage poachers. That if you see a deer, you're just gonna try and 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 hit it, which is crazy. Well, <laughs> my sister-in-law sister actually. That's not the be That's not the cheapest way to go hunting. <laughs> she hit a deer, and the deer wound up kicking in her window, and busted her whole face. Up. Oh yeah. Story, you know. This they can end up in the seat right next to you, fully alive and panicking, you know. So. Oh, God, yeah. But, you know, I'm sure that it roadkill gets a bad rap. 
uh, eating roadkill gets a bad rap, and, and they say that you know it's a redneck thing to do. But I thought I would look into some of the most common roadkill, and and uh, is it edible? And basically, what I found out is you can eat anything, anything. that walks on four legs, you know, or or two legs, I guess, and or fly. flies through the air. It, it's safe to eat. Uh, the, the a lot of the biggest information I found was on the raccoon. Uh, some parts of the country, raccoon is considered a delicacy, and more so for our forefathers than than us. But it's still consumed. <coughs> excuse me, in a lot of parts of the country, and. Um, <clears throat> The biggest, the biggest fear is: Does this animal have rabies? That's what you have to look out for. When, when you know, if it's foaming at the mouth after you, no way. But the traditional way to cook raccoon um, was to roast it and eat it with sweet potatoes. If you could imagine that, I love sweet potatoes, and and I could imagine that a raccoon might not be bad eating. Yeah, and um, well, like to me, it's just the whole idea is gross. Yeah. But I watched two. Well, what I watched a series of videos about one person, and then one video about another person, who are two sort of extremes of roadkill eaters, but they are like dedicated roadkill eaters. So they'll and go what, out and and look every morning for for something out there that someone has hit. Oh yeah, well, one of them was a nomadic woman woman who's a nomadic artist and she, trained chef that travels the travels the countryside. I think she was in America, but she she might have been in the British countryside. She was in in the woods and she had not has a thick Australian accent and dreadlocks and her name's uh Allison and I don't know if it's Briarly or pronounced Brearly or Briarly. I think I would think Brearly. And uh, she would make art out of um, roadkill animal. Like she made a beaver merkin. Nice. One of her art art projects. That that. I wonder if that's where the. <laughs> you can go back and find the history of the name of what a merkin and calling it a beaver. You know. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, she's driving around in her camper right now making videos. And the first video I saw of her, she was just in the woods and she'd found a pheasant by the side of the road. And she dressed like sat. she sat down. She sat down in the woods, put down her little camp, you know, one burner camp stove, started some couscous. You know, she had a, in her bag. She had some spices and some couscous. Started up some couscous, dressed, you know, dressed the, dressed and removed the breasts from the pigeon, or from the the, um, what did I say it was? Uh, beaver, wasn't it? No, no, it was a, it was a, a pheasant. A pheasant, pheasant. And and she she pulled the breasts off that, and uh, had some had some blackberries that she'd found. You know, down down the road a little bit, and and made these blackberry pheasant pheasant breasts with uh, with couscous, and sat and made this beautiful like 
five-star dining-looking little entree and ate it in the woods on the spot. You know, just was out hiking, found a pheasant, found some blackberries, and had lunch. You know, these, and, these animals were, were, you know, hunted for thousands of years by Native Americans, you know, and raccoon was uh, eaten by a lot of slaves at Christmas time, right up until the end of the Civil War, you know, and you had to get your protein where you could, and you know, raccoons have been always prolific all over the United States. Yeah. So yeah, I, I imagine they're like cats or dogs or something, which are also considered, like in other cultures, considered delicious. Oh. So oh. They, they they have a they look like they have a decent fat um, content. Well, years the, ago, I used to work with a with this uh, Filipino guy named Yuri, and um, he told me he goes, "Yeah, I used to eat dog in the Philippines. It it keeps you warm." I said, "What? Yeah, you eat dog and it keeps you warm." And uh, and that wasn't the first time that I had heard that 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 eating dog keeps you warm. But he did tell me that if you ever eat a dog, no other dog will ever trust you. They'll, he said that, yeah, I can't go near dogs because I ate dog, and they know. They can smell it on me. So, all right, Yuri, just go ahead and and uh, go back and more meat. In the, in the <laughs> that's what he told me about about eating dog. Well, the, the other person I watched video on is this guy named Arthur Boyt, and he's an old British guy. He used to, his story was interesting. He used to belong to a religious cult and had a falling out of it with them and he was a taxidermist and a scientist and the the when when he got kicked out of the cult they made his wife leave him so once he started being alone he started eating some of the stuff that he was getting ready to taxidermy to save money and now he's just addicted to picking up picking up roadkill to where people in the town will call him and be like there's a dead he loves badgers badgers are his jam i didn't find any i didn't find any information on badgers well this guy you want to talk about okay the the woman anison burley she's into like this is you know this is a ethical way of you know eating meat you know it's it's you know found meat you haven't killed it it's died naturally blah 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 this experience of finding something and then preparing it needing it on the spot in nature is part of her art and stuff this guy just lives in a hoarder house <laughs> with his new wife with a freezer full of dead roadkill carcasses for future future eating. But his jam is beaver he- or uh, badger heads. Badger head has all different kinds of different types of like four different types of meat and then brains. So it's all the all the textures at once. And he will he now this is where we're getting into the is it safe to eat roadkill? This guy will eat anything. He's tried ev- everything. <laughs> he has preferences, but he will pick something up if it's blown up like a balloon. Oh fuck. He says if it's if it's blown up like a balloon or turned green, <laughs> all you have to do is keep it in running water for 4 days and that'll take the smell off it. And it's like meat that's gone green after if you wash it properly and then like soak it in some salt water is actually delicious <laughs> because it has its own flit. So he's starting to dig the decomposition well, I flavor, mean, which is part of like fermented foods and yeah, stuff. 
the best beef is said to be, you know, aged beef, but it's aged under controlled temperatures, you know. It's right. It's on the side of the road. Well, this guy's also making stew and stuff, which is so he's killing any bacteria. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's that's anything that's like any kind of like live critter in there that's gonna get you. His is, stomach is used to it too, you know. I'm sure. Right now it is, yeah. I I grew up next to uh, one of my friends. Um, his dad grew up in the South. Um, it's an African-American guy, nice guy, just a real calm, easygoing, older guy. And he would tell us about what he ate. He said his favorite thing to eat was possum. He said he loved possum, and his mom would cook possum, and they would eat possum. And then he said one his favorite part, you had mentioned the head. His favorite part was the head. And then one day, his mom put the head on his plate. And he was digging into the head because he said it was delicious. And he opened the mouth, and there was a bunch of fur in the in the possum's mouth. And he said there was something about that that after that day he could never eat another possum <laughs> because it just grossed him out. And I said, well, gee, Mr. Cooper, I mean, come on. You're grossed out by a little possum hair in his mouth. You're eating a damn possum. He goes, yeah, I know. But, you know, that's all we had. That's all we had at the time. And I, I want to ask you, let, let's throw the roadkill aspect away. Would there be any type of meat that you wouldn't try if it was maybe hunted? Would you draw the line at raccoon, possum, things like that? Not if I was hungry enough. Not if, if it was like living li, – if, if, if I was living off the land in search of calories – so I would probably I would probably draw my line at humans and yeah. cats and dogs. Yeah. I might have a pet cat and dog, yeah. but all other cats and dogs are outsiders, so therefore they are food. So what if we went to the raccoon farm where they breed raccoons for consumption or something? Would you would you try raccoon meat? Would you try possum meat? Would you try Sure. Yeah. yeah. The recipes here for raccoon I'm looking at are they sound really good. I mean, no, I mean, it's really it's no different than eating anything. And if you say something like, "Well, raccoons are smart," well, pigs are smart. <laughs> you know, pigs are very smart. Yeah. So I've eaten plenty of smart animals oh, in, I mean, in my days. Smart ones and and uh, rabbits. I've had a lot. I've I've well, I just just the other day, it's not a rabbit, but I was. Um, in Lisbon and my cousin ordered this delicacy and what they were were tiny little songbirds tiny little songbirds that were stewed in this wonderful like gravy with mustard in it and uh, olives and garlic and you just pick up the little songbird the heads were off of them but you ate everything you ate the bones you ate and it had to be one of the 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 most delicious things I'd ever had in a long time. So much so that I'm trying to get a recipe, and I'm not going to go out and swat songbirds, but they do sell little quails out here. So I would definitely try it with a quail and and see how it goes. But wild rabbit, I'm a big rabbit fan. I love to eat rabbit, and wild rabbit is absolutely delicious. It, it is... Ten times better than a domestic rabbit. 
and my aunt taught me this years ago that wild rabbit is just delicious and that, and i was wild like, rabbit's delicious it's a oh, terrible survival food uh, no fat in it or what no fat yeah yeah it's a very lean a very lean meat whereas if you can if you buy a domestic rabbit uh, rabbit raised on the farm it has some fat on it. It, it, it you know he's had an easy life yeah. But a rabbit, no way, man. That thing is 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 on the move all the time, and and yeah, you're right. It's very lean, but very 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 tasty. I I like gamey gamey meat. I like lamb. I like venison, wild venison and stuff. And like the whole thing about roadkill is is it's just that concept of like eating something that's already been dead and been laying around in nature for a while. You know, that's the concept. Everything else that I found about roadkill is basically just sort of basics of meat preparation. You know, it's how to field dress something, you know? So yeah. like, so like any advice that you pick up for roadkill would be the same advice you would pick up if you wanted to learn how to hunt your own food and, and butcher your own food. So that's that's like most of the like non most of the roadkill videos I found were like that were like how to dress how to you know field dress a squirrel you know and where to find the meat on on everything which is probably something and and, and there was a running theme of like if you want to eat meat this is the best you know it's always good to know <laughs> what the process is you know oh well squirrel is from what I've read, is absolutely delicious. And we almost had no squirrels during the Depression. So many people were eating squirrel. Well, the same thing happened in Italy during World War II, and the Italians were so hungry that they had basically wiped out every pigeon in Italy because that's what they were surviving on. And, you know, we've never, you know, I've never had anything where I in my life where I've had to to go after squirrels to eat them but man if I was starving you better believe I would I would yeah they're all over the place for a while <laughs> the best part about it is I would know how to field dress a squirrel how to how to cook a squirrel thanks to our food guru George Leonard Herder I was sort of thinking this one might stump him, but I should have known better. Come on. And our wonderful Herder's Corner, which we draw recipes every month from full cook and authentic historical recipes and practices. And it took me a, you know less than a few minutes to find an entire page with such wonderful recipes as uh, Prairie Dog bat masterson belgian squirrel and he has a couple of interesting things to say about about squirrels and uh you know there are a very there are very few people whom i have talked to who know something about eating who do not raise squirrel at the top of the list when it comes to eating wild animals squirrel meat is light colored fine textured with a mild, delicate flavor. Squirrel meat is far superior to venison, moose, and you do not tire of it as easily as you do such meats when you have it for more or less a steady diet. 
so you know, uh, he loves squirrel, and he also loves. Now, I wasn't going to go out and and nick a, a squirrel to, to make the recipe, although they are starting to uh, are starting to uh, come out now. Now that the uh, winter time is done, you're seeing more and more of them come out of the little hibernation. But New York City squirrels might be. Uh... You might get injured in that battle. Yeah, oh, there's some tough squirrels here, man. But he did have a recipe for Belgian jackrabbit or snowshoe rabbit. Here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail. Yeah, you can get rabbit pretty easily here um, if you go to uh, some Italian uh, meat markets. Or if you go down to uh, the Chinese grocery store, you can get a scrawny little frozen rabbit that I don't know how long it's been frozen for for really cheap and that's what I did I went down and bought one of those and I said okay well I cook rabbit but I cook it a different way I'm gonna definitely try and do herders rabbit recipe so let me uh, read this here for you real quick this is Belgian Jack rabbit you can also do it with a snowshoe rabbit which I guess is a rabbit that's wearing snowshoes which would be a bitch to jump in but uh, Jackrabbits and snowshoe rabbits have wonderful meat, and there are dozens of really wonderful ways to serve them. This 200-year-old recipe, now where the hell did he get a 200-year-old recipe, um, is awful good and different. Every so often, I just have to go out and get a jackrabbit and fix it this way. Cut up a rabbit into serving pieces and salt and pepper to taste. Melt a generous amount of butter in a large frying pan and brown on all sides of the rabbit uh, rabbit piece as well. Remove the rabbit meat from the pan and put it in a baking dish with a cover. In a melt in in the melted butter add half a teaspoon of nutmeg, one half a teaspoon of cinnamon, and one half a teaspoon or two of here's where it gets interesting of fresh horseradish. Now, I couldn't find any fresh horseradish, but I did have some on hand for Bloody Marys. So it wasn't fresh, but yeah. Stir well and pour it on top of the rabbit pieces, and then you add a half cup of water. Now, you put it in the oven, you bake it for an hour. And then you take one teaspoon of flour and mix three tablespoons of cold water, and you make a roux. And you remove the rabbit pieces from the pan, and you add the flour to make this uh, roux, and you gently boil it for a few minutes until it thickens to make the gravy and serve it with potatoes. So, adding nutmeg and cinnamon is to meats is a very, very, very old, old school way of cooking. Uh, yeah. People added nutmeg and meats, uh, cinnamon. I used to think it was maybe because they were just putting on airs because this stuff was expensive. But no, you go to all these humble recipes from colonial America and nutmeg was just in just about every type of meat dish. And I may have mentioned before that there was a hamburger, there still is a hamburger joint in my hometown, but up until about seven years ago, they used to have a uh, shaker of nutmeg on the table to put on your burgers. So. Maybe it is a 200-year-old recipe. Lord knows where he gets where he gets his um, information from. But I do have some of the rabbit here, and we haven't 
last month we did have the salsa, which I gave a buy to because of the anise uh, flavoring. And I may have messed up the recipe, but this was pretty, pretty, um, pretty straightforward. Straightforward. The horseradish is is kind of strange. I don't cook. Yeah, it. especially with nut nutmeggy so, cinnamon flavors. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. That's the the horseradish has kind of mellowed out a little bit from being cooked. Yeah, it gives a little. Um, let me just. The gravy is really good. The meat is is really good. I probably wouldn't put. Maybe I would leave the cinnamon out because it's it tastes a little holidayish. But it, it it's actually I really like the uh, the horseradish in there. That's not that's not bad at all. It it doesn't taste like I thought it would taste. Um, but the gravy is really really good. I wish I had some potatoes or something because or a piece of bread. But I still have the rest of the rabbit that I'm definitely not going to waste this this recipe. And I guess you can cook squirrel like this, but that that's actually really good. That's that's another hit. That's another herder hit. I have I haven't had a bad one yet on a um, with this guy. So yeah, that that that's our. You know, I'm not gonna say that if I see a bunny on the side of the road, I'm gonna go pick him up and put some horseradish on him. But I I, I definitely definitely approve of this. I don't know if I would make it again. It's I'd, good to know that you could if you had to. <laughs> If I had to, I, I definitely, definitely could, and and with that, I I, I guess we can move on uh, and wrap up our uh, our coverage of roadkill or bushmeat, which was more of a of a, of a show about you know eating that type of animal. Maybe you know we got yes. into the roadkill thing is ethical or not. Again, if you're gonna go out and do this, make sure that you do it in winter time when when uh, the meat might be a little bit safer but i don't see any of you guys going well what, one of the pieces of advice allison Brearley gave was uh a good sign is if it still has fleas <laughs> yeah, well i would listen to her before i listen to the other guy that has uh that wants me to run a bloated carcass under he was ba- yeah he was basically saying rinse it off well enough and cook it enough and you're safe with anything <laughs> please okay i can get that so that's that, good to know too if, though you know <laughs> please haven't left then you can figure it's probably okay it's it was warm not too that, long ago right the fleas would be like ah fuck it let's get out of here let's find something that's else. exactly what happens yeah let's find something else to to eat and speaking of like like uh fluffy and cute and i'm looking over at the green room and is there some type of sports mascot convention going on there i i see a sexy wolf and a sexy cat yeah, they're like they're like tackling and, each other maybe they're like enemy sport oh they're not fighting oh that's some heavy petting <laughs> that's some definite heavy petting. Oh, oh wow okay well, why don't you get the hose and, and i'll and i'll get the door and uh we'll uh We'll play musical chairs in just a second. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to sit on the same chair. Step back, man. What are you doing? 
Howdy friend, are you a vegetarian because you love animals and feel guilty about factory meat farms, but then you pass by your neighbor as he grills a big, fat, juicy steak and your tum-tum starts tugging at your moral fiber? Well, tug no more. What if I told you that there was a way to eat meat ethically while bypassing animal cruelty and cleaning the environment at the same time. That's right, karma-free carne, and the answer is roadkill. Come on down to Homebody's Roadkill Grill, where it's tired of fire and grilled a swill. Maybe you're just cheap and not a soon-to-lapse vegetarian? Well, here at Homebody's, we keep the prices low by cutting out all the middlemen. And you know it's fresh and locally sourced, because we're mere yards from the notoriously deadly I-195. Come on down. We're right next to Erotic Medallions and the TikTok Shop. Come and get a full belly with an empty conscience. Tell them Maury Clawhammer sent ya. This week's specials. The Impossible Burger, 195. Crab's Raccoon, 250. Authentic Ratatouille, 75 cents. Arma Dippers, three bucks a dozen. Tastes like chicken nuggets made from 100% flying things. Five for a buck. Try our famous maybe back ribs and our signature burger, the Big Mac truck. Two all meat patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Remember, if you hit it on the way over, bring it on in. We pay by the pound. Hello and welcome to Beat It, the second part of our podcast, the porny part of the podcast. I am Buck Fido, and I am here with world famous fur trapper Myron Merkin. Hello. <laughs> I feel like I should be in a French accent. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I can see like trail of traps strung behind you. You've got your raccoon hat on. Black Jack Shellac. <laughs> Block Jacques Shalak. <laughs> and today we are going to go balls deep into the world of furries. As balls deep as I can't remember who the famous preacher was, but some famous preacher just used that term. Or priest. <laughs> but I want everyone out there to forget everything that you may think you know about furries because we are going to set the record straight. I guarantee that most people out there don't understand the culture. It is there's a lot more to it. Than there's a lot to understand. That's for sure. I got I got into doing research for this and it took me into so many different facets of furry culture that that wow this could have been easily maybe a three-part a three-part uh series yeah. but we are we are going to give it all to you 
fast well, and hard in one in one shot. So I want to I want to ask you what a uh, furries. What, what, what do you know? Where did you first learn about them? Have they uh, something that you think about, something you see? I driven, drove by a furry convention at a, at a park once. Um, I've seen them at, I've, I've seen them at, out and about at conventions and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I like I'm interested in subcultures, so I followed the 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 furry story. And since we're a porn podcast, and we're sort of doing like I sort of did the research on the furry porn, that automatically puts us in weird, scandalous territory. Because from from what I understand, my, from my, my understanding is that being a furry is a is a spectrum of what that means and it's a wide spectrum and when you start talking about furries as a sexual thing as we're going to with porn today it becomes scandalous because there's some people like a furry could be someone who doesn't dress up as anything but likes cartoony animals you know and but they could like cartoony animals being G-rated to X, there's a spectrum of G-rated to X-rated as to what their interest means. <laughs> and the same with dressing up in suits. There's people, like, there's a lot of scandal because there's people who like to dress up in suits and, and, and have sex. But there's a lot of people who dress up in suits to go entertain at children's parties. And they don't want to have that association exactly. <laughs> with them. Exactly. What I thought about immediately was I go to a lot of comic conventions. And when you first tell people that you go to a comic convention, the first thing they ask you is, oh, do you dress up? No, no, I don't dress up, you know, and it's not my thing. And when you go to a convention, there there are a few people, you know, some people do dress up. But the majority of the people at comic book conventions, they're not cosplaying, you know. And, and the same goes with furry culture uh if you're going to go back and and understand the culture itself you you have to go back uh maybe you can start with um with 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 anime you know uh people were into anime in this country it was very difficult to get and finally with with the advent of videotapes it, it got easier, and people would trade. The Japanese were fascinated by American sitcoms, old American sitcoms, Leave it to Beaver and stuff. So people would start trading these uh, anime with Japanese people for American sitcoms. And a lot of anime, you know, is has aspects of furriness to it. You know, and furriness is basically the love of anthropomorphic animals, and a lot of the Japanese anime had that, you know, cat girls or something, girls with mm-hmm. tails and stuff. So it, you can say that it stemmed from that. And you can even go back to Walt Disney cartoons. You know, uh, Robin Hood had, you know, Maid Marian was a sexy fox and, and uh, Robin Hood was a fox. And these animals, they had human characteristics. And a lot of people, 
they they love that and they love the art and and comics that that had to do with that and and it was perfect feeding ground for the underground comic movement uh, in San Francisco and New York. I mean, Art Crumbs, Fritz the Cat, is a perfect example. I mean, that there is nothing about that movie. It, it screams sex and anthropomorphic animals and cartoons, you know? Yeah, it, it, it graphically depicts them in an X-rated fashion having sex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you've ever been turned on by Bugs Bunny and drag, you know, that's an aspect of that can be an aspect of yeah, Fritz, Fritz the cat would be the the logical next step, and then maybe like Omaha the cat dancer comics. Yes, exactly, and and you know, uh, zines started to come out where people would would get together, and Booty Magazine was one that I came up with uh, a lot in my research, and it was professional artists that put it together. And what they said was a proposal for an art magazine for furry animal fandom, uh, incorporating funny vegetables, minerals, and machine fandoms. And uh, the first issue was released February 29th of 1976. And they, uh, they would solicit all kinds of artwork from people that, that love to draw these human-looking animals and some of it was sexual, some of it wasn't. But you could submit your artwork to this magazine, but it couldn't have any humans in it. It could have humans, it, but very, 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 very minimal human content. Most of it was all animals, and this is what people were into. It was a big, and still is, you know, a big subculture. And animal sex and violence is okay, but they just didn't want to see any humans. So people would just send in their artwork, and some of it was, you know, pretty amateuristic, and other it was was pretty good. And this magazine was just published. Now, I, I you and I were talking that this is was probably a very difficult magazine to come across now if you wanted to find it. Uh, I didn't check on eBay, but I probably should have just to see how much uh, they were they're going for. Probably a pretty penny, I would bet. I can imagine. Uh, now, Mark Molino was the name of the cat who uh, collected animes, anime and uh, trades, um, and he organized all of this this stuff. And he founded the Cartoon Fantasy Organization, or the CTO. And this was uh, an organization that you could join, and uh, you could get uh, all of these wonderful zines. And I'm, and I'm sorry that these little, little self-published magazines aren't, you know, are they still a thing? Are there still zines out there? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, with the advent of photocopying and Xerox machines, these things became very easy to um to make and so it exploded and it was always a subculture you know of of uh of of furries they hadn't even gotten the name furry yet actually but they have always been out there and this is how it started and uh (laughs) well i mean it it started with, with that and 
the next thing that happened was something called the internet. Right. <laughs> yes. That, I was I was trying to think of how to word it, and then well, it all dot dot dot. And then this is where these people could get together and share their love of of you know of these of this type of artwork, and and it grew from there. And I would love to see. I mean, are chat rooms even a thing anymore? I mean, gosh, I remember when I first got when I first got my computer, there was chat rooms for everything. And I don't know if it would be as much chat rooms nowadays as subreddits, maybe you know. But the, I bet you there's still are chat rooms. Oh my god! But yeah, the thing about the furry thing is they get dunked on a lot. So. Like, especially like the sexual end of the the furry, the furriness. So like having a private chat room would keep people from trolling you and stuff like that too. You know, you'd be able to conduct your business without, without people coming and going, hey, you know, as unlike if you were on Reddit, say. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I'm I'm sure they still use chat rooms. It's probably not the main stay anymore. No, uh, you're right. Uh, but you know, the origin of the name furry, we we have having some trouble figuring out where it may have come from. Some people think it came from uh, people who had a big, big love for plushies, and uh, and lumped it all together with with fans that that were also. Uh, fans of furry artwork and and then the name furry kind of came to be you know and there were there were a few conventions that had just popped up here and there but mostly what they, they were rather small the first one but what would happen is they would get together in a room at a hotel after the convention where artists could share their uh their work and sell it their and do commissions for people that was, hey, I want you to draw me a, a sexy fox, or, or I. Everyone has their had their own avatar, and that's very important in uh, in furry culture. Everyone had their own avatar that they could associate themselves with, and 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 a name, kind of an animal spirit type thing. But as as soon as the culture got big enough that hey, you know what, maybe we can't do this in these hotel rooms anymore. We're going to go ahead and have a convention. Well, that's probably where the trouble started, or at least the subculture of furries started to split, because you had the people that were interested in mostly art uh, and that aspect of the fandom, and then you had the people that that wanted to to dress up and come to the show which which was fine too because a lot of these people dressed up as as their favorite characters but according to the hardcore purists it also drew in people that they really didn't want to see in their movement uh they define them as as you know there really is a dividing line in this in this culture between people that that want to keep it just the love of anthropomorphic animals. And then there's a sexual aspect and you actually handled some of the, uh, the porn that you saw. Now, do you think that, that what you saw was 
maybe just people throwing on a mask and doing a furry porn to see if they can make money? Or do you think that the people that you watched were actually into furries? Because what I've understood is a lot of the, the porn... Well, both of the above. ...was just grooming sure. and stuff like that. Uh, like, like, I, like I said about the spectrum, there was a spectrum of furry porn. Now, what's getting classified as furry porn on uh you know a porn website a porn video website is getting classified as such because of a keyword that somebody's put in so somebody putting in the word furry you know i'm sure there's all sorts of debate over whether what what they whether that officially counts or you know or what that means because basically uh, all right, you know, I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you've been to a porn website and pulled up a pulled up an opening page or done a search or something, and then you have, you know, a sort of layout of all the videos that come up on the search, and you'll just generally see a wall of flesh <laughs> with things poking <laughs> into, but it's sort of the same picture over and over again. And I'll always argue all porn is. Porn is the same thing with just different, like, fetish items attached to it. But the furry porn, since it's dealing with anthropomorphic animals, it, it, it's skirting the line. Since they're anthropomorphic, it's not like bestiality in some respects. And that's depending on what you're watching, too, because... When when I ran that search, my page was a kaleidoscope of colors and different things because there were animated videos, you know, like regular animation. There were CG animation. There were hand like slideshows of hand drawn, you know, like comic strips or draw or just drawings. And uh, there then there were people in various costumes or body paint or or stuff like that there was stuff that looks like it was filmed at conventions or stuff that looks like it was a couple you know that 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 would do a whole bunch you know so it was all over the place and as far as what i watched and what i watched was all over the the the, the cartoony stuff Sometimes, like, a lot of it was fairly tame. Most, a, a lot of the times it was not, you know, I saw some really, like, too realistic CG doggy dicks, you know, in a few of the videos. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I saw one video that I thought sort of sounded, it, it might not have been from the time period you're describing of the conventions, but it was from... It, it was in, it, it, I don't think it was a hotel room, but it might have been like a hotel conference room or something. And it was a party, and it was some people in fur, in their furry suits having sex, you know, like over a chair. And everybody just sort of going along with the party. Every once in a while, you'd hear somebody sort of like wander over and go like, whoa, nice, whoa, and like, and then wander away. But it was pretty nonchalant. Like the the party was, you could hear it. It's like a real party. It wasn't like a set up thing. You could tell the conversations. You could hear the alcohol in people's voices, and you could tell it was just taking place in a real party. 
and uh but uh for the most part it just i have it underlined like five times here all porn is basically the same you know it's it's what you like to see sticking something in something you like to see so some people just like to see straightforward men and women poking things at them but that it's just basically variations on that with whatever your thing is so maybe it might you know uh constitute somebody in a fox suit but that person is still basically doing (laughs) what's going on like the like i don't know i the 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 I didn't find anything where somebody got artistic with it and made it feel like, you know, say if somebody who was a talented dance choreographer got some dancers in furry suits and did choreographed, you know, like the the, the Broadway version of The Lion King or Cats <laughs> type sexual production where where you train the people to be primal and animal-like and mimic the movements of the creature that they were wearing the suit and stuff it could be something different but basically it's sort of just like you know like the furry sex with somebody out there you know with a with a bunk bed and you see their tv by the side of the bed and the cat wanders in and out and stuff like that you know so it's just just basically you know they're not like you know, hey, Foxy Fox, let's go catch some rabbits and then come back and mate, you know? It's just like a, a video of two people humping, but they have furry suits on. Well, so it's... I, I'm i a weirdo, and I've grown up around, like, culturally weird things with an interest to it. So, I like, it just... To me, the controversy of like, oh, furries are super weirdo people and stuff. I just look at them like anybody else. Everybody like likes to have some sort of outlet or whatever. And, you know, I'm not talking about in sexual terms, but just generally, you know, and like like someone who likes to dress up in a furry suit, it's it's the same thing as cosplay. It's just a way of like being somebody else, you know, having, having a persona that you can act out something that maybe isn't, is it comfortable to act out normally or is more fun to act out in that way. And, you know, and to, to that extent, it might just be, you know, to some quote unquote normal people, it might be as much as like, Ooh, I wore some sexy lingerie today, you know, or something that, that, that does that but or once a year on halloween when they wear their you know their their say the husband wears a sailor outfit and she wears the salty wench outfit and then they go home and it's just it's the it's the same thing and so yeah to some people dressing up in a in a suit is is weird but so what it's just the same thing happening yeah and uh so I never found myself, except for the animated stuff, being kind of weirded out. You know what I mean? Or getting creeped, you know, being like, this is kind of creepy, you know? Well, we've watched some some bizarre stuff in the history of this show. And I, I would think that probably people in animal costumes having sex would probably be very low on the scale of some of the things that we've, that we've seen. 
Well, just like normal, like the normal, like porn videos that people watch, like those, I've had more uncomfortable moments in the course of the show pouring through porns with somebody like, you know, talking, talking, not like talking dirty, but talking like, like, like domination, humiliation, stuff like that. When I see stuff like that, I, I kind of get mad at the person who's pushing the other person around, even though I know it's like a sort of consensual thing that they like to do. That stuff will get me more like, like, yeah, this is kind of icky. Then so, somebody, you know, the the thing about the fursuits is at, at, at the most, it's like kind of absurd because the way a fursuit set up it, it sort of eliminates, although I've seen, I did see attempts at oral sex, <laughs> but I think they were just for the camera. You know, they were just performative because you can't really, you know, I, I, I saw an attempted blowjob with a fur suit on, with a fox suit on, and it wasn't working. It was just like somebody like sort of had to sort of push their limp penis into this, <laughs> into the, which well, is kind of a scary thing that I would be kind of scared to do that. I don't, I don't know. Well, it is what you're touching on is <laughs> at the core of. I'm not touching on anything. What are you well, talking no, about? What are you talking about? Heavy petting. Uh, it's it's at the core of this break between the furry community. Uh, I think. I mean, it the 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 um the the whole conventions hit their their height in the 90s with a conference conference haha and there was a a lot of the purists felt that that their movement or their conventions were being hijacked by people that would be just coming in to to exploit or to try and exploit the sexual aspect of their movement Uh, there were uh, examples of people being interviewed at these conventions saying, hey, do you know what a furry is? And the guy would say, no, I'm just here for the uh, booze and the sex, you know? And that's what got, you know, the, the purists or very upset. Uh, but I think you have to accept that that's what you're going to get. I mean, you can't pick and choose who's going to be I mean, maybe some of these people... You can't start having a uh, movement or a group or something that starts picking up national conference size audience without getting the exploiters and the people and the assholes and, you know, just pick it. It's just just the law of averages. Once you get enough humans in a room, a certain percentage of them are going to be turds. Yeah. And And it just comes with the territory problem was you know these play, the fur conference you know they were they were held at hotels and a lot of the when people started getting crazy and you know having sex in the lobbies and then the elevators and their fursuits or out of their fursuits you know other people at the hotel they're feeling very very uncomfortable you know i mean their kids are going hey it's box and you know all of a sudden the guy's got a cod piece on and and okay, okay, but let me say this. How different is that from your average, like, say, shoe salesman convention? The only difference is the fursuits. True. That's the shit that happens at, like, you know, liquor rep, liquor rep, <laughs> you know, conventions yeah. and stuff. I've heard stories of 
you know, salesman conventions that like were like Caligula. So, yeah. so this one basically just because the people had fursuits on, it, it, it it's it it makes the story more <laughs> lurid and and appealing, you know. Yeah, it, but it started to people started to to call and hijack these conventions by saying, "Hey, these guys are selling, they're selling uh, bootleg videotapes and they're selling pornography to kids." So so cops would come and and the whole thing just got would just get crazy, you know, and it it became very, very difficult to book hotel rooms anymore for the hotel uh, convention centers for uh, in Seattle, for one thing. Uh, a lot of stuff happened there, and you couldn't find a hotel that would be willing to book a furry convention anymore because of the... And the worst thing that could happen or happen to the movement, I think, is... A lot of the media. I mean, if you're a news station and you hear that a furry convention is coming to town, you're going to be there with your camera. You're going to be filming it, and and you're gonna you're not going to film the the people that are selling their artwork. You're going to film the uh, the free auction, which the ones right. that I watched was the people in in suits were getting bids of twenty. They were offering, you know, I'll come over and do a lap dance you know, dressed as, as a sexy cat or whatever. And, and they were getting bids of $20, but some guy would come up in a cod piece and leather and he would get bids of thousands of dollars, you know, and that's what the media was focusing on. And that's what they wanted to see, you know? And so with that brought the reputation of these people are, are just weird and they're, and they're sick. And, and it's a shame because when I, went into the core of the movement it really there are people that, that love to dress up and they weren't doing anything wrong but there i'm i'm sure that there probably was a seedy aspect aspect that that, that sure it kind i of, mean the thing know, is it's that, fun to dress up i i my ape suit is since the rubber on it has degraded over the years but i had an ape suit and i gotta tell you it's a fucking right you get to be somebody else or like it's like an ape so you get to be an ape so you get to just sort of be primally running around whacking your your hands on the ground and jumping up and down it's it's fun you know the only problem that would keep me from wanting to wear an ape suit a lot is like those outfits are so hot hot oh my and and you know but there's people who just enjoy indulging a different persona and there's a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of people that want to indulge, like, their dark sexual side. There's a lot of people who just want to indulge their, like, their aspects of play, you know? And so they put on the fursuit, and you don't have to worry about the baggage of adult life or something. They can go, just go out and be silly with other people and enjoy themselves. And there's that, uh, there's so many since there's so many different kinds of people with different psychologies it's so and it's the problem basically is like our society loves to put one word on something and it's like a person in an animal suit is it's easier to just go furry and go with that and then all of a sudden everything gets the stank of whatever the most lurid and uh, you know 
momentarily attractive, scandalous thing is associated with that. So you you're just kind of you're just kind of screwed if you want to call yourself a furry. And but then if you don't want to call yourself a furry, you're gonna have to like argue and be, explain what you know. People are like, well, if you're not a furry, what are you? And it's yeah, and but there's but there is the whole other aspect of furry culture that doesn't dress up, you know. Right, right. That just likes the the culture and the the artwork, the art and that goes around with it. They just want to have their fursana, and they they want to uh, and identify themselves with this culture that loves anthropomorphic animals. And how do you fix that rip? I mean, do you? Do you, is it something that you you can't fix? I mean, when we when we think furry, the first thing we think about is somebody in a suit, you know. But there's so much more to the to the culture than that. You you have to yeah I I guess you have to you have fix to how people think about the, the all sorts of things in our culture, you know. How people think of, you know. I mean, I think there's been. Not to not, now to get all now to get even more weird and esoteric about it, but you know, um, persona in our culture is when the internet came about. You can pretend to be whoever you want. There's people who, and you know, and uh, to a lesser extent, stuff like that would happen in like the theater or people playing D and D. I knew people who play D and D, and sometimes they would play male characters, sometimes they would play female characters and stuff and and in the early days of social media there was you know battles between people who wanted to be their fake persona on social media and 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 all that and the enjoyment of playing somebody else or or indulging a different part of your psyche and stuff and the reasons for doing that are so vast and varied that once you start trying to categorize it, you're kind of screwed. So, I mean, I think until our society has a more nuanced view on human psychology, <laughs> I guess. But, I mean, that's the way it is with with every kind of subculture. In you know, I mean, every every religion is tarred with the worst you know the people who do the mo- you know do the most crimes in in their religion every group is is recognized because the people who don't who don't hurt anybody don't get in the news <laughs> you know they just go through their life unnoticed you know because well, they're not they're not screwing things up so it's it's just it's 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 tough and furries and furries are it's even tougher because it, it is just a wide spectrum from you know the 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 guy who does mascot work for the for the sports team to you know the the hardcore fox and dog going at it on the in in the convention yeah but what and, Someone who just likes to read Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Ham comic. Yeah, yeah. But what's happening is, you know, they had their heyday. Uh, conventions were at their peak in the 90s. But then as the internet started to become more and more prevalent and 
easier. We had bigger, um, you know, you could pull more data on your computers. Everyone was getting the internet. A lot of the movement has taken off online. And this is where a lot of it's going on now where you can, we can, people can share their artwork. They can get commissions and it's, it's taken off online. Now there are still conventions out there, but not nearly as many as there were in the, in the nineties. And it's a shame. Well, I would, I would think what they would, what probably happened with the conventions and this is, I'm ignorant of this. So I'm just guessing, but I'll bet you they became like, that's the thing is like, okay, the internet came together and then they were like, there's a lot of people who enjoy this. But then you end up with these huge conventions and then you end up with the troubles that come with them. Maybe it turned into like smaller conventions with more focused, you know, um, topics or reasons to be there. So the people who are into it because they're sports mascots have one that's more sports mascot. Yeah, Um Exactly. And that way, you know, hey, what goes on in somebody's hotel room after the convention is just that's a hotel room, but you know, at the you know, so you would just have less of a a, a cantina like you know, Star Wars cantina mashup of all different kinds of furries, and you would have people who are more of the same mind. So the people who just want to come and go have a you know a dance party and and mingle and just sort of have a nice little PG rated thing can, can have that, you know, but it's just not going to be this huge, you know, and there's always the, 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 the urge to do something huge because people make a lot of money on, on, on the huge stuff, but it's probably not worth the, the hassle. And the hassle. So, I mean, there doesn't seem to be as much scandal now, so it seems like maybe it's, it's getting better. I would I would hope so, because you know when when the when New York Comic Con comes to town, it's a big media frenzy, and and the media is happy to go in there and and film people in their superhero cosplay costumes, and and then when a furry convention would come, they would be more excited to go down there and film some of this goings on, and and you know oh yeah well I mean then you can make funny. You know, oh, yeah. hacky sort of jokes. Uh, you know, the the just the general hacky jokes about it and stuff. And the Daily Show, I had a, had a clip of a furry convention, and you know, that's the only they they didn't look at any of the of the artwork. All they wanted to do was look at the people in costumes and and dry humping, and that's you know because they're doing a because they're doing a four minute clip. Yeah, it, you know, that's and, what's interesting, and I can see to where that would probably be, you know, irritating to some people that weren't into that aspect. Yeah, being well, I mean, I've been watching just in general comics conventions for years. You know, local news stories making people look, you know, just being sort of condescending or 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 overtly mocking of the people there. You know, oh yeah, because it's just an easy, it's an easy target. You yeah. know. I mean, Triumph the Comic Dog on Clone yeah. and That's my, when I think about comic, that was generally funny. I mean, I, but the thing about that is you could tell tri, the, the guy who played Triumph and his writers 
had were were big nerds. Oh, you yeah. know, they wouldn't have come up with those jokes if they didn't know oh, their shit. No, so so yeah. that that made it very appealing to me as nerds. It, it that made that complicated too because it's like, a, am I being a nerd punching down on these other nerds? But hey, you know, when you're talking to a puppet dog, you know. You didn't see many people getting their feelings hurt. Most people, when Triumph says something really horrible, you see them laughing directly afterwards. So, yeah, that was one of the more um, genius comedic moments of the last, like, 50 years. (laughs) Now, when you, before your gorilla suit dried up and and you wore it, was there, was it just empowering to... Uh, well, you have a one time, especially yes. But I'm this trying to get into into the the mind of someone that you know want that would be dressed like that. What, what did you What did you feel when you? Well, we, we got to go back to one time. I was back in my college days. I was tripping on acid with a bunch of my friends, and we were up on top of this big hill. And there was sort of like the side of the hill was all sand. And I just started, like, going into hostile gorilla mode, like, smacking the sand and throwing the sand at my friends. And we all started turning into a bunch of, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey cavemen, you know. (laughs) It was a riot. And I was just like, man, like, I think I could really rock an ape suit. And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, I I had a girlfriend once for my birthday bought me an ape suit and uh it was a riot because nobody knows who you are you're just you're just a guy in an ape suit there's nothing to give away especially if you go into ape body language so it's confusing to people but it could i and i would do it i um i i've i i used it once for a couple performances with the band but the one time that was the most magical was this was also with the band, but it wasn't with the performance. I just brought the ape suit along because I knew we were playing at a festival that was out in the middle of nowhere. It was in a guy's land in his field. And uh, so after we were done playing, you know, you could just go walk around and watch other bands or go to campfires, these big campfires and hang out with people and stuff. But so I was like, okay, I'm gonna put on the ape suit and be like, run around like Bigfoot and see what, because you know it's a festival. There are people all kinds of wasted and there for the whole week, you know, camping. And um, turns out in in the dead of night in a out in the country with a with a ape suit on like a like a gorilla or or Bigfoot you're basically invisible like completely invisible you're so dark from head to toe that nobody can see you until you're right on top of them so we were having a riot because my my friends were filming it with my camera which had the infrared switch on it you know so you could uh you could do night vision on it but the night vision when it reflected off the ape suit it made you look like the Mugatu in Star Trek. <laughs> the you Mugatu. looked snow white, like a Yeti. Did you do the ape walk? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, so they would film me like walking around all these people. And in the video, I'm like standing out like a sore thumb because I'm bright white. But in reality, they couldn't see me. And I was and like that whole night I would run around and just sort of stand in one place. And I would hear all sorts of crazy conversations and things going on like two feet away from me and nobody would even see me. They just pass right by. And uh, there was there, we we got one piece of video where I'm like just walking around the edges of a the campfire like right behind people and like trying to get people to see me and uh, nobody everybody's just like totally blissfully unaware and it made me think well so much for Bigfoot <laughs> Bigfoot could be. There could be 20 Bigfoot walking all around this thing. Nobody would even know. God, I I have one story about an animal suit. And um, it involves my friend Lee, who hates all creatures, great and small. Meaning that, that he doesn't... He's one of these guys that doesn't... Not an animal person. Not an animal. He's, he doesn't like dogs, cats. You know, they'll steal your baby's breath shit like that he doesn't like any one time a raccoon ran through our camp when we were camping he freaked the fuck out every year when he tells a story the raccoon gets bigger and bigger um so we used to do a camping trip every year there was about six of us maybe seven and uh i got it in my head that i'm gonna scare the fuck out of him because i had mentioned there had been a, an attack at a jewish campground about a week before we went where a bear grabbed some kid and dragged him into the woods and I kept bringing it up to Lee saying hey man you're this bear he said, I don't want that at least this this he's this funny you I think you've met him at one of the bars oh yeah I met him a couple times oh, he's this little black guy and he has this high voice he's hilarious you know he's kind of got a little Michael Jackson yeah. voice yeah Mike Mike Tyson Michael Jackson Mike, Mike Tyson yes I don't like nothing to do with no animals I don't want nothing to do with no bears I don't want to so we all had tents, and I went over to um, to this uh, costume shop up the street called Jellies. It's still there. And I and I walked in, and I said, hey, uh, you got something in a bear suit? He goes, yeah, I got the bear suits. Come on back here. He takes me to the back, and there's like all these bear suits. And I pick a bear suit. How much to rent this one? Oh, that would be $100. Oh, shit. Well, you got anything cheaper? And he's like, oh, well, I got this one here. It's a bear suit that had a bow tie googly eyes, and a busted jaw. He goes, how much you want for that one? Yeah, give me $25. It's, it's not in the best shape. Sure. I rent the bear suit, and we head off camping. Uh, it's my my then-girlfriend, now-wife, myself, Lee, his partner, Carrie, um, yeah, about five or other people. And I told Carrie, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Around 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to set my alarm, and I'm going to put on the bear suit, and I'm going to wander over to your tent. You're going to hear me. You start telling Lee I hear a noise outside, and I'll take it from there. I said, whatever you do, don't get drunk. Don't, don't, you, you got to hear me. So this is August. It's 100 degrees. I put on the bear suit at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I wander over to their tent, and I start, like, making bear sounds and walking around the tent. Well, Carrie was stoned and had taken an ambient and he was drunk and Lee was drunk and they were both fast asleep. I couldn't get his attention. 
I'm making Baird sounds, and I'm like, oh, banging on the side of the tent, nothing. I go back, I get a pot, I start knocking pots around, and I can't get, I'm sweating, the sweat's in my eyes, I'm like, fuck. Finally, I find out what side of the tent Carrie's sleeping on, and I punch him through the tent. He wakes up, goes, oh, oh, oh shit. And, and he goes, hey, Lee, I hear some noise outside. It's go to bed, Carrie. Nah, oh, man, I hear something outside. And then Lee hears it. And and uh, he goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. I don't know what that is. And Carrie's like, well, I'm going to go check it out. No, don't open that tent. Don't open the tent. And, and sure enough, Carrie oh, unzips the tent. And you see Lee's eye look out, zips it back, goes, oh, my God, it's a pear, it's a pear. And, and I'm just making bear noises. And Carrie's going, well, I got to go and chase him away. No, don't. I got a knife. Uh, and that's that was his exact words. I have a knife. Like the bear is going to be afraid of a knife. But and so Carrie unzips the tent, and I jump in the tent, and I basically maul him. Dude, and, I would not have jumped in that tent the he, second I heard I've got a knife. <laughs> I would have been. I would have stopped and been like, Whoa. it was a fucking knife. It was, and and I jumped in there, and there he is, his underwear. And I'm in this bear suit with googly eyes and a bow tie, and he lets off a scream that you could not believe. He just, yeah! I tackle him. And, and Carrie is laughing hysterically. And by this time, they tried to videotape it, but it was too dark. Everyone else comes down. I got up. He finally realizes that it's me in a bear suit. He had pissed all over him. <laughs> all over his sweatpants just pee and he's like oh real funny scare me with a bear tooth real real funny <laughs> and it, and it was probably one of the funniest things that you'd ever seen in your life and it was well worth it i took the bear we were driving back and my friend joe had the bear suit on it and lee had a a jeep and they were blurry music and here he was dancing in the bear suit in the back of the, it was an open jeep. He's like dancing, you know, on the, on the road back to the Queens. Hilarious. Just hilarious. But yeah, yeah, I felt like a bear, man. I'm telling you. It was that, that's my, that's my only bear story or, or, uh, or a bear animal suit story. I was just going to say, you might have had some other bear stories in your travels as a as I'm, a flight attendant. I'm sure I probably did have a few others that, uh, that I might have been too drunk to um, to uh, recall. But that's uh, that's our our topic on furries. I mean, we, we just touched on it. There's so much more that you could probably go into. But yeah, I hope that we, we did it justice and maybe educated a little people that – a few people that when you when you hear the word furry, don't just think about some guy in a sexy cat suit dry humping somebody else. There's a lot of there's a lot of different aspects to the culture, and uh, and I have a certain amount of respect for them as a as someone that I consider you know a member of geek culture. Uh, I can see where they're coming from, man, and I and I only wish uh, the movement the best going forward. You know. Whatever floats your furry boat. Absolutely, man. So there you go. Furries. And uh, we will be back next month with another wonderful educational topic. 
probably not as weird uh, double features this Definitely. month, but Definitely. you never know. Yeah, in in the words of Marlon Perkins, you know, I'll sit here and uh, let Jim go down and wrestle the bear. <laughs> so, and uh, make sure that you, uh, when you put that fur suit on today, that animal suit, just just uh, flip over on your back. You won't chafe as much as you as you go to sleep. Right. Bone break crushing in the skin and the ripping in the heart still pumping and the blood is dripping on the road kill. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful meal. There's a dog on the table and he died by the wheel. He's a road kill. Blood in your bumper and hair in your wheels. Come on, baby, do you know how it feels? He's road kill. To get Christmas dinner, but we didn't have to look far. One of us reindeer got Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Thank <laughs> you.